0: Welcome to season six of the Making a Marketer podcast with your hosts, Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing and Jen Cole with Gretemann Group and Xdan. This show is for all levels of experience talking marketing and business with the best guests in the industry. Two guarantees that we maintain, you will learn and laugh. Here we go. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 126 of the Making a Marketer podcast. I'm Megan Powers with Powers of Marketing and VGS and my lovely friend and sidekick, Jen Cole. How are you today?
1: I am great. I'm excited. It's going to be a wonderful month of May. You know what we did last night? What? We got tickets to the Royals game on the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. And I am really, really excited because we didn't go to a single Royals game last year. And we are going to go to a Royals game Memorial Day weekend. Can't wait.
0: Awesome. The whole fam bam?
1: Yeah. It, well, we're going to go meet him and my boys this time. Oh, okay. Yeah, it'll be the four of us.
0: <laughs> awesome. And i need going to stay in KC and...
1: Yeah, we, got a, we got a hotel this time. Normally we do Airbnbs, but one time a year and it's always Memorial Day weekend, I will get us a hotel and it's <laughs> going to be awesome. I'm so excited.
0: That's pretty rad. Yeah, I'll be at Bottle Rock watching all sorts of good music and eating good food and drinking beverages. How's our lineup time? this year? I was going to say wine, but I never drink, even though it's in Napa. I never drink wine when I'm at Bottle Rock because I can't drink wine all day. Who can? (laughs) The lineup's amazing. I can't think of what it is on Sunday. But Lizzo and Duran Duran are on at the same time on Saturday night, which is Uh, so rude. That is rude. (laughs) Sophie's choice, man. Golly. All right. Well, let's get to our beautiful, wonderful guest today. So I will say we've had our friend Dan Gingas on a couple of times to talk about customer experience, which of course is a topic near and dear to both me and Jen. But today we're going to talk about it in like a very different way about the connection on this front with an amazing thought leader and business owner, Brooke Sellis. Welcome to the show.
2: Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just so excited to nerd out today. You don't even know.
0: Oh, I think I do. And uh, (laughs) for the listeners, I will get to this question for a little bit. But I took pictures of the book that I'm sure she and I both used in school and uh, sent her pictures of my highlighted pages about theory, communication theory. We're going to nerd out a little bit. Not too much on that. But I can't believe we'd never met before because I've been seeing your name forever. And we have all these mutual friends. And Mark Schaefer has been on the podcast way back, like uh, season three, I think. So thanks for being with us.
2: Of course. Yeah. And I'm happy we finally get to like, I was about to say meet in person, but you know, you know what I mean. This is each other's faces.
0: (laughs) This is in person. This is not virtual. This is real. This is actually happening. It's happening. Okay, let me read. (laughs) Let me read your bio. Brooke B. Sellis is the CEO and founder of B Squared Media, an award-winning digital marketing agency focusing on social media management, advertising, and social media customer care. Her marketing mantra is think conversation, not campaign, and she believes in it so much that she wrote a book on it called Conversations That Connect. She's also co-host of the CX Engine Show and teaches a digital marketing course online at the University of California, Irvine. Well, and Jen Herman was on the show and recommended your book. And that's what sparked us to say, oh, yeah, we haven't had Brooke on the podcast yet. So let's have her on.
1: That's so um, wild. Shout out, Jen. I love you. <laughs> we love
0: awesome. her, too. She's
1: amazing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and she was on episode one and then came back at 125. So, um, yeah. so here we are at the next, very next show. All right, Jen, why don't you kick us off?
1: Okay. We love ourselves a nonlinear career here on Making a Marketer. Can you tell our listeners about the trajectory of your career and why you got to this point as CEO of your own agency? Well, the short answer is real estate to nonprofit to sales and
2: training to my own company. That's That's amazing. Pretty pretty far jumps. Those lily pads
0: were very (laughs) far from each other. Yeah. You went to school in the middle there. In the middle of it, right? So
2: I actually left school if you have kids listening, earmuffs. I left college with a year left for a boy.
0: Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Obviously, it was a
2: mistake. And uh, was in real estate and then nonprofit before I realized I needed to go back. So I left my job in nonprofit when the bottom fell out in 2009. And uh, went back to school. And I did this thesis work that we're going to touch on slightly today. And uh, then... In the midst of going to school, I worked for the sales and training company. After I
1: graduated, I was still working for them. And then I started B squared shortly after that.
0: Okay. Awesome.
1: But it's really funny. I worked in nonprofit at the beginning of my career too. I worked with pregnant teens and teen moms. Seems like a lifetime ago. It's completely different than what I do now. It's it's so wild. So it's kind of funny how we both started in that arena. I jumped into marketing more in 2012. I did go to school for I worked on an MBA as well. <laughs> Three hours short <laughs> of my MBA. Oh. Yeah. Three hours. <laughs> three Come hours. on now. I didn't yeah. know that. That's funny. Yeah, I am three hours short of an MBA. Yeah, You're so that's get that, a girl. very similar. Story. I know. I know. My fiance tells me now too. He's like, "Hey, make you it happen." Yeah, that but I mean, isn't well. it the same though? I mean, here's my
2: viewpoint on all of these crazy jobs that I have. When I was in real estate, it was sales and it was marketing. When I was a nonprofit, it was sales and it was marketing. (laughs) When I was working for the sales and training company, it was sales, but I was the director of marketing, so it was also marketing. And then when I started B Squared, that's what I do now, sales and marketing. I'm the sales team for B Squared, solo sales team. And I plan all of our own marketing as well. So, I mean, I feel like it sounds like it's like crazy different, but there's a thread that kind of
1: ties it all together. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That is really cool. Just a bunch of different industries. So you probably know a lot of things too.
2: I can come up with stuff on the fly pretty quickly. It was funny. I was on on the phone earlier today with, I don't know if y'all know Samantha Stone from Marketing Advisory Network.
1: Hmm. No. We were
2: on the phone today and we're helping each other out with a couple of things. And she said, oh, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And I was like, okay, you should do this and then say this and then lead it to this, which is a coupon. That she's like, you must be in marketing. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> yes. yeah, sorry. That that part of me just like happens. Like when I get the idea, like, have you ever been like with your non-marketing friends at like lunch and yeah. they tell you something and you're like, oh, and then you've got the marketing plan for them. And they're just looking at you with like blank stares. Yeah. Different <laughs> yeah. language. Yeah.
0: Well, and the sales thing, you know, like Daniel Pink says, everyone's in sales, right?
2: I mean, I share that viewpoint. I know there are a lot of people who are very much against that viewpoint and want nothing to do with sales. But in my opinion, we are all in sales. Yeah.
0: Well, sales gets a bad rap. You know, no one wants to be sold to, but everyone has to buy stuff. So it's just like this delicate balance of, you know, being a good salesperson and all that kind of, but that's another show all together. (laughs) All right. Okay. So I just have to say, I never thought I'd have a guest on any of my podcasts with whom I could nerd out about communication theory. So as I started to read your book, it hit me. We have to talk a little theory. So I won't dig too deeply, but I got my master's in communication. And my main theory, what I was focused on was the social information processing theory or the SIP theory. And I did my thesis to actually try to prove it wrong with regard to events. The main idea of the theory being that you can do absolutely anything online that you can do in person. It just takes longer. Mm. So when I saw Brooke got her bachelor's in communication and used a theory, I was like, that sounds familiar. So which in that theory is the social penetration theory. We will refer to it as SPT moving forward. Cause it's a, an unfortunate weird name. name. Yeah. <laughs> I busted out my old com theory book. I was like, I have to anyway. And as I said, I sent her pictures cause that's because we're a, nerds a, and that's what we like do. That. And we, yeah. we were both having so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Brooke, please tell us about this theory, it, you know, and as briefly as you're able to, like what you discovered in your research mm-hmm. and how marketers can think about it as they go about the work they do for the companies that they work within or for their clients?
2: Sure. So the SPT, it's also called the Onion Theory. So that's really easy too, if right. you want to call it that. Okay. It basically says that the way we build relationships as, as human beings is through self-disclosure, right? Disclosing information about myself to you, Megan, that you didn't otherwise known, signaling that I want to... Re- move the relationship further. And there's four levels of disclosure, cliches, facts, opinions, and feelings. And really you don't start to build an actual relationship or build trust or any kind of loyalty to the other person until you get to opinions and feelings. And so what I wanted to look at was, can brands use the SPT or Onion Theory through social media to connect on a deeper level with their audiences? And what I found was, yes, However, the biggest misstep that was happening way back then when I did this study and is still happening today is that most brand content lives in cliches and facts. It doesn't really get to opinions and feelings. And I think that's why a lot of people are C-suite people still don't see the value in social because people aren't using social to be social. They're using it as a push communication channel, not as a channel to connect, converse, and then convert. Right.
0: Oh, you did a really good job of making that concise. I mean, it's going to touch on, obviously, throughout this conversation, like everything kind of will hearken back to that really, right? I mean, if we don't say it, it's all sparked you to write your book, right?
2: Oh, a thousand percent. That whole premise, that whole theory essentially led to, you know, the the creation of the company and then eventually played a role in our social care services and how we, you know, built those programs for our clients.
0: Amazing. Imagine boys and girls putting your schooling directly to work.
2: It never happens. I feel like you know right. everybody always says, like, I never use it. I used mine.
0: I do. I do too. Well, I talk about my thesis all the time. I mean, it was for my masters, it was later in career, right? So I'd already done a lot of stuff and I had a lot to draw from when I was doing it. That probably helped you, right? so oh, you had for examples. Sure.
2: Yeah.
0: Versus somebody who's right out of school who they're not pulling from as much actual real work experience or life experience to put into their work. So, yeah, I like because mine was face-to-face versus online communication within the context of trade shows. And mine was also sparked out of the downturn in 0809. Events took a big hit. Oh, like yeah. emo- Companies are like, oh, we don't need to, We can just do it online. And what they found was that it was a lot more difficult than they thought. And trade shows particularly, and then, you know, circle back, I'm like, oh, man, I need to do this survey again after COVID because this is all, these are all the same things, right? Everything had to go online. We didn't have a choice. And so how successful were these events that were online? We know it gave, it blew accessibility wide open, right? So many people who couldn't go to events could now. However, we also... I mean, this is anecdotal. I haven't done the research yet because no one's paying me to do it. And we'll get to that later (laughs) when I ask you. But the trade show element just didn't hit online. Education, online, networking a little bit. But like the trade show, like walking into a booth online is just not a thing that it's Mm -hmm. not the same. Yeah. You can't touch and feel, especially for companies that are selling things that you know, you want to touch and feel that you get like at a trade show that you'll, you know, software is one thing where you can demo it online, but stuff is something. It's the try
2: different. before you buy premise, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah, I think being able to like see it in action. Before you make the purchase is amazing, which is why I think a lot of these like makeup brands and whatnot have gone to these like try it before you buy it or try it for 30 Mm -hmm. days. And if you don't love it, send it back and we'll give you a full refund. No questions asked. Right. So they're trying to emulate that and it's going well for them. But I think it's very specific to that industry.
0: Yeah, well, and then they also have an advantage of VR, right? Like you can try on a lipstick. Yeah. On your, I love like that's that. just, cool. me too. Yeah. Okay. Definitely not getting this color. Right? And it's, def, it's definitely better than, I mean, who's picking up a tester in a store these days? Like, no. Not I'm me. not. No mm-hmm. way. Absolutely <laughs> nope. not. No. Nope. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we, we went off on a little bit of a tangent there. But anyway, just like I love real life stuff coming from actual education. It's just my favorite.
1: All right. So as we heard, your marketing mantra is think conversation, not campaign. As a social media manager and community evangelist, this speaks to me. Mm -hmm. You talk about having conversations that connect and how this can help marketers beat the algorithms. So how can we do that? Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever noticed, especially
2: here lately, LinkedIn has been pushing this little prompt. I don't know if you've seen it, but when you post a piece of content or like repost a piece of content on LinkedIn, I've gotten it a couple of times. And so I've been able to screen snag it, but it says posts that spark conversation. I'm paraphrasing do very well on LinkedIn. You should aim to post more because this was a link post that I was posting. I tend to do a uh, very well. So if you think about that and we think about, Facebook which they've told us a few of their variables within their algorithm but one of them is return on conversation that's our metric not theirs but it's you know in, the engagement of getting comments is actually weighted the highest and if you look at Twitter's new algorithm and this is the new one they have three different variables for conversation it looks at replies comments to a tweet it looks at retweets and it looks like how many how much conversation is happening for this user within a week's period right so the algorithms are built, to use social the way social's supposed to be used which is to be social well, that's and mind-blowing. And are still not doing it, right? And so I think, you know, <laughs> we call it think conversation content within that media mix. When you're building that content calendar, you need to come up with conversational content. You can start with layups. LinkedIn has polls. Facebook has polls. Instagram has polls. You know, start with the easy stuff. Condition your audience to want to converse with you. And then slowly but surely, you can move into more of like fill in the blanks. Or if you really get into it and you really start to get to like the opinions and feelings part of those disclosures, either from the brand or trying to get them from your customers, you can ask for product feedback and look for voice of customer data that will help you create better content or better campaigns or whatever it may be. So I think, you know, yes, obviously, we all run campaigns. We're marketers. But if you start with conversations and you you take that approach, you'll have way better campaigns.
1: Yeah, I agree. They're much more memorable as well, you have an experience, and you know we talked about that with Dan gingis When you have an experience, you're way more bound to remember and go away and talk about it, like outside of social as well. So I love the idea of having being conversational in your campaigns. I'm kind of starting to do a little bit of that right now for Gretaman Group. Just so happens, is I'm like we noticed that a lot of people for we can't we're not really sure why. They're looking at our team page on our website. They clearly want to get to know us. We've had a lot of traffic. So I'm like, ooh, you know what we can do with that? We can do some thought leadership. Yeah. We can do some thought leadership. And then we already have like some articles that I write where I ask the people that work in our office five questions about their career. And then so we can repurpose those. I'm like, we're going to make our people a couple of campaigns right now. We're going to talk about it. So, yes, I agree. I love how that like aligns. Right. Yeah. That is so validating to know you're doing the right thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I know it is. Well, it's because it's because, you
2: know, we're surrounded by marketers and brands who are stuck. Yeah. in doing it the push way, you know. They mm-hmm. they look at connection as an email subscriber or a yeah. social media follower or a form fill or a download. That's not connection. Connection means two way, right? So, you really have to scrub out like why what marketers think connection is to get them to the point of two- way, which is conversation,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. and if you're if you're figuring out what they're interested in, then you can kind of start to expand on the conversation you already know that they want to have. So it right. just takes you even deeper with your client and your customer or your potential customer.
2: Not only that, but Twitter and publicists did a report earlier this year. And what they looked at was brand conversation on Twitter. And what they found were that shoppers who were in that buying moment and using social media to shop brands actually weighted brand conversations. So when somebody like said, hey, is your printer compatible with Alexa? And the brand responded. They were Weighting those conversations, those brand conversations higher than the brand's online reviews. So let that sink in. Yeah.
0: That's that's how important
2: conversation is. Right.
0: Yeah. It's so frustrating when I ask a question on Twitter or I, you know, give a give kudos to a brand for them to not. Respond. It's so frustrating, and I, I read. A, you, I know you wrote about that in your book. Yeah, it's, it's so it's so frustrating. It's the worst. It's Why like are what, you are, we yeah. Yeah, yeah. what yeah. are we even doing? Yeah, yeah. What are you even doing? Yeah. All right. So I want to talk a little bit about. So I have friends. They've actually been on the podcast. Also, Liz Nathan and Nicole Oshibodu. They coined the phrase "return on emotion." in relation to events in 2021 they're no longer at this company hot but at hot where they founded actually they embarked on a year-long research study to identify the emotions that marketers should evoke to drive connections that feed pipelines and it led to a this unique metric that they call return on emotion or ROE. So as I was reading your book, this came to mind like as something you focus on knowing and using consumer emotion in messaging product and experience. So can you tell us about this and give our listeners some tips on how they can do this successfully in today's climate, Mm -hmm. consumer climate? Where like where more than half the global consumers, as I saw in your book, and about two-thirds of people in North America are interacting with brands online.
2: Yeah. So one of the coolest ways to use customer emotions is to literally use their emotions. So if you know the term, user-generated content, I'm sure you do, or UCG, that's nothing new, right? But what a lot of really smart brands are doing now, and you'll notice it a lot in the makeup industry, but also in the food industry, is they're using UGC, user-generated content, where the user has invoked a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings and opinions in that piece of content, and they're using it as social selling. So it's like using that post to then sell the product right and i they're doing very well you can see on these even though they're sponsored posts that they're still getting a ton of engagement a ton of comments a ton of that return on conversation and so i guess it's also return on emotion right because i'll give you an example there's a brand called snack magic And this was an example in the book and they do like snack boxes. So like I could, as a thank you for being on the podcast, send you a snack magic, you know, gift card and you get to build your own little snacks, snack box. And then it's sent to you. So somebody had posted to their social media, oh my gosh, you know, my client just sent me a hundred dollar, you know, snack box from snack magic. And I feel like I'm 10 again because I just got all my favorite old school candy delivered to me in this box I'm so freaking excited you know they're they're yeah. conveying all this emotion all this nostalgia which by the way nostalgia is always so big during economic downturns so that was another piece that I think helped boost this piece of content and they still use this ad by the way and they reposted it and they're like it's really that simple and they used a bunch of, of emojis and cute little faces and stuff and pretzels and you know it's really that simple just you know whoever you want to send the box to you just buy the credits or the dollars and they get to build their own snack box so you don't have to worry about like what they like or what they can have or if they're gluten-free. And it's just, it's so logical to me. It just makes so much sense. But again, you just don't see a lot of brands using this tactic with their advertising.
0: Do you think that's because they don't understand that or they're short-staffed or, I mean, it's I, a combination of things. I but no, know like, because... With, go ahead. I was just going to say with the clients that you take on who have not been doing this well... That might be good, like for you to pull from, right?
2: Oh, I mean, they all love it and use it because we tell them to, right? I would be hard pressed to think that no one knew, like on the marketing side, what user generated content is. But we always think about it in a way of just like sharing it as like a testimonial or like mm. social proof. I don't think a lot of brands have thought about it as a social selling tactic. And made a social selling strategy with user-generated content. And that's what they need to do. And it's not hard because, again, if you've already been collecting user-generated content, then you've got a vault of stuff to pull from that you've been approved to use by the person who posted it. And you can come up with a social selling strategy around it. Glossier makeup brand. Oh my God. They had this whole campaign where the Stark Raving, they have Stark Raving fans, but but several of their stark raving fans were like, you need to make a deodorant. You need to make a deodorant. So they took all of these posts from all of these fans talking about how they needed to make a deodorant and they announced their new deodorant line in a carousel with all of these user-generated post. It was oh my gosh. fantastic. It is just like, why didn't I think of this? It's so easy. Uh, <laughs> it's <Right>? so easy. <laughs> they listened to what their customer wanted. They made it. They took their customer's you know data, used GC, and then used that to sell the product that they made that
0: the customer said they wanted.
1: Wild. <laughs>
0: <Boom>. <laughs> That's pretty rad. Yeah, it is. There are so many good examples. Out there, but so many companies just brands just aren't.
2: They're just not doing it. And I think
0: pushing. Yeah,
2: We're stuck in a rut. I mean, I think part of it, i mean, we won't go down this rabbit hole, but I think part of it is, you know, job expansion with everything that's going on with the economic downturn and, and marketing always being the first cut and the last to come back. I think there's a lot of marketers who are doing like the job of five people versus one. And so that doesn't leave creative license to come up with maybe some of these ideas. But I hope you're listening because now you've just been given the idea and hopefully it's easy to pull off, right? Let's just uh, write that down. Yeah,
0: Yeah. for sure. Well, and this speaks to the the need for a person or people to be doing the job of social media, like for it not to be something that's just lumped in with everything else, because if it's lumped in with all your other digital strategies, it's going to be harder for them to do it full, full on.
2: Yeah, it's just, well, it's just so different from a lot of the other traditional models or even, you know, other other digital models, email, right? It's all so different from social and There's so many different aspects of social if you place it into like the digital customer journey. I think people think of social media, again, as like that broadcast awareness channel. But we've proven over and over again that it goes everywhere from awareness all the way through to loyalty evangelist advocates. Which means, yes, we've converted people and then moved them into stark raving fans who also then bring you awareness. And then the loop continues, right? So I just think it's education. I think that's part of the reason why I w- wrote the book. I just was like, you know what? I, people need to know this stuff. Like, I'm just going to write a book. Let's see what happens.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I and I, I wonder, if too, if it's a little bit of the people that have been doing social have been doing it for a long time.
1: Uh-huh.
0: <clears throat> and it's, it's a lot of work. Uh-huh. And the changes, you know, want, whether you want to keep up with the changes or not, or whether you're content with just doing the same old thing you know, this is something that it's not for the fan of heart. (laughs)
2: It's so easy to get caught up in shiny object syndrome too, especially right now. It's like bastidon, you know, like it's like all (laughs) over the place. And I'm like, I am sitting here and I'm not touching a thing until it is like proven that this is gonna <sighs> stick around because I'm just so tired of like the dating game with all yeah. the new social sites. I agree.
0: Yeah, yeah well, well having to keep, keep track up of on of the, them. Too. Yeah. The well, the different platforms and then the changes, of course, within oh, um, yeah. making uh, it work for you.
2: Exhausting. You yeah. <laughs> have yeah. to really love problem solving if you want to be a social media marketer. I don't think people realize that. They think it's like all creative and fun and fluff. No, you have to be up for the challenge. You have to be resilient. You have to be Madonna, constantly reinventing yourself. You know, (laughs) It's not for the faint of heart, like you said. Yeah,
0: for sure. Okay, it's halftime. We're going to take a little brain break. So summer is right around the corner, even though our listeners can't see it. I'm dressed like it's January because it's not warm in California. (laughs) It's just not warm. It's not spring. What the heck is going on? It's May 5th. What the heck? Anyway, I digress. So I want to know what big plans are y'all making for the summer? Jen, why don't you go first?
1: Well, ours are kind of simple. Like we're, we, you know, we're planning a wedding. And so the big Colorado trip that we were going to take this summer, <laughs> you know, wedding, <laughs> wedding, but I have a bachelorette party. I'm going on at the beginning of June to Dallas for I'm my friend Hannah's bridesmaid uh, here at the end of September. And then, I don't know, just kind of my kids have like some different things like uh, theater camps, band camps. Nicholas just got asked if he would be part of the city honor band. And so now he's going to be marching in our river, our big festival, Riverfest um, Sundown Parade. Going to be all about the boys this summer. And um, then they're going on a mission trip to Chicago. So we're, j- I'm just going to hold down the house while all of that is happening <laughs> and enjoy my tiki hut in my backyard. That's what I'm going to do. That's right. All right. Very yes.
0: cool. Brooke, what about you?
1: Well, we don't
2: have children. <laughs> so what we do is we pack up and go to Maine every summer for like three, four months. Oh, wow. Yes, yeah. It's, please. It's, it's not as hot as New Jersey up there. And uh, we have a little, little cottage on the water. So we nice. spend a lot of time on the water and like we just become like relaxed, normal people for like three months. And then we come back to Jersey and turn right back into like the crazed animals that we are. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's so awesome. That's amazing. (laughs) I Maine is a state I have not yet been to, but uh, but
2: need to. You have to go. go. You have to go. It is
0: something else. So I am out of my mind with events. I think Between next week and the end of June, I'm not attending all of these, but I am helping to manage the logistics of of like uh, nine events. Some of it trade show participation. Yeah, it's crazy until the end of June. And then July 1st, I go to Europe for three weeks. Yay. So yeah, Brussels and Croatia for sure. Maybe nice. Prague and Amsterdam also not quite sure yet. And then I'm uh, coming back on my way home and stopping in Northern California for my cousin's birthday party, which will I kind of act like a family reunion. And so
1: it'll be so much fun. <laughs> All right. Well, we are going to get back at it. Like we're coming back from Maine. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. (laughs) We've talked about how human uh, we need to be listening and supporting consumers with empathy. Now let's talk a bit about the tech side of all this. You write about coding conversations (laughs) in your book tagging and then analyzing sentiment. We know this is a big topic, but can you talk to us about this piece of the puzzle?
2: Yeah. So way back when I did my thesis, there weren't like social tools like we have today, that like Agora Pulse and Sprout Social and, you know, Brandwatch that kind of did all of this for you through AI. So I had like a spreadsheet and I would like manually tack down like the responses and like code them. So that's where I got the idea of coding conversations. But now, thank goodness, we have all these amazing tools and you don't have to do it manually. But typically inside of like a, a social media dashboard so like sprout social is what we use to do this but other tools have this as well it's it's either called tagging or labeling and what we do is tag and label every piece of outgoing content and every piece of incoming content and that just helps you slice and dice the data a little bit easier when you're looking at conversations in mass to understand the voice of customer data or you know find you know a hypothesis or, or that you're trying to answer or whatever. But essentially, there's so many different things that you could tag and label. One of the things I say in the book that would be fun is like, do your own SPT study. Every piece of content that you send out, label it as cliche, fact, opinion, and feeling. And then all of the responses that come in, label those cliches, fact, opinion feeling. What you'll start to realize, I think pretty quickly, is that when you send out opinion and feeling content, you get opinions and feelings back. So then that could be, you know, something that quantifies for your manager or your C-suite, like, hey, we need to post more opinion and feeling content, right? But there's other things that you can do too. Like we tag like products for our product, our product heavy clients. We tag all the products we also tag all of the conversations for our, our social selling and customer care program as acquisition or retention, meaning this person's coming to us asking a pre-purchase question. We could actually sell this person or this person's coming to us with a post-purchase complaint question query. And then that way we can further tag, you know, whether it was acquisition and then the product line or retention and the product line, you can start to uncover what I call potholes in the book, which are places to make that path to purchase easier. Because if somebody's telling you like, hey, when I tried to check out, I just kept getting like the spinning wheel of death. And then you start to see that this comment comes up over and over and over again, you've got to talk to your developer and, and fix it, right? Because yes, we could come up with a patented response to say, oh, it's getting fixed or whatever and quell or appease the customer. But over time, you're going to be spending a lot of money on that if you don't fix the root problem
1: or the pothole, as I call it in the book. So that was a lot, but <laughs> did that help answer your question? Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you call, I love Referring to them as potholes—that's perfect. Like it's like you know, instead of putting a band aid on it, hello, let's let's heal the thing. You yeah, know? I mean, we've all driven in gnarly potholes, right? And you're like, yeah. you
2: just fix the road. I mean, that is really right? what your customer is thinking as they're going through the path to purchase when they hit a pothole of yours. So I think part of the labeling is like helping you identify where those potholes are, and then part of it is labeling for sentiment, which. AI does most of that now out of the box with most of these tools. However, you have to have a human set of eyes check everything because like, I'll give you an example. If somebody said, I love how United Airlines loses my luggage after a 10-hour flight, that word love will trigger the AI to tag that as positive sentiment when we all know that person is is not
1: happy, right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) So you always have to have a human check on things. AI is fantastic, but it's not totally autonomous. It should not be autonomous.
0: Perfect. Yeah, no question. All right, that's cool. That sounds like a lot of work too. As you were talking, I was like, oh, it must be nice to have a team. must be nice to like have multiple people. Like, because I've always been pretty much flying solo when I was doing that for my clients. So that's awesome. Okay, all right. So go to to
2: chat GPT. And ask it to build you a code using, uh, you know, something, a zap that connects to your tool that will label things for you based on certain keyword
0: triggers. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. <laughs> Write that down. You. <laughs> Get your pen and paper out, boys and girls. Um, <laughs> hit rewind. Uh, that, that, that 15 second back button. Sorry. Okay. No, don't, Snore, we or don't we be sorry. You're good. You're good. It's so, I, I love this. All right. So. From my research that I did on my thesis, I really, I thought I wanted to go back and get my PhD. I enjoyed it. I was shocked at how much I enjoyed the research end of things. And it was actually, the lit review was very difficult for mine because not much had been done in this realm, which also to me like proves the point of like, okay, we need more academic research on proof of things um, in in events. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. So alas, I don't have anyone to pay me to do research. And I see that you all do research at B Squared. So I would love if you could share with our listeners, what's the most surprising thing that's come out of the research that your company has done?
2: I think the most surprising thing is that whole acquisition retention tagging that I was talking about. When I was writing the book, we asked all of our customer care clients, you know, how much of the social chatter do you think is acquisition versus retention? So again, pre-purchase, in the buying moment, post-purchase, already bought. And they, across the board, every single one of them said like 0 to 5% for acquisition, that 95 to 100% of the conversation would be retention. So as I started applying these labels through the tool and uh, looking at the data, every single one of those clients had at least... acquisition conversation happening month over month on their social channels. And one of our direct consumer tech clients had four product lines that had over 70% acquisition on those four Hmm. product lines month over month. They had no idea because they weren't responding to like we were talking about earlier. They just weren't responding to people. These are people literally in the buying moment wanting to buy and you ignored them. So then phase two, we went through and when it's a product line like that, you obviously know what the MSRP is of that product. You can start to apply dollar amounts, right? To those unique conversations about that product. 80% acquisition on one of the product lines was like $1.2 million worth of potential revenue. So now, right, the C-suite's paying attention. They're sitting up. They're going, what now? What? What's happening here on social media? Well, right? (laughs) And we're saying, okay, now help us help you. Give us some unique promo codes, unique landing pages, whatever it is, so that we can say, yes, Megan, that printer is compatible with Alexa. Here's a video on how that works. And if you buy within the next 48 hours using this promo code, we'll give you $100 off. Woo! Then what happens? You may not close all of those conversations, but even if you close a little bit, you're attributing revenue to organic social, which is what the C-suite needs to see so that they start to understand the value of social media.
0: Yeah, and organic. You didn't yes. have to spend extra it. money. You just oh, had to spend it. sweat equity on it.
2: Yep. Yes. Yes. And then imagine all marketers, if you're listening and you can do a project like this, your budgets go up. Right now, everybody's cutting budgets, but guess what? They're not cutting yours because they know that you're bringing in X amount of revenue every month from social.
1: Oh, that's so motivating. (laughs) You know? It's so motivating. All right. We've just barely scratched the surface here, but maybe the last thing we can talk about is measurement. I'm so excited. What are some KPIs we can look to for understanding if we are really having conversations that connect? Well, return on conversation, which I mentioned. So mm-hmm. like, go do a quick audit of your social channels, right?
2: Figure out which channels produce the most conversation. And then I want you to go through and do that like acquisition retention tagging thing, right? Go back. Love it. Tag those conversations, acquisition retention. And the reason why I'm having you do this is because we're so spread thin, right? We're on every channel there is that exists because that's what the C-suite wants. But if we can quantify where most of those acquisition and retention questions are happening, we can also quantify why we should be spending time and budget on those platforms and maybe not the others or less time and money on the others. Then once you have any inkling of retention or acquisition. And retention is still good though, because right now I want to explain to you with the economy, the way it is growth through retention is very important right now. So if you can prove that you're getting a lot of retention type questions and you can solve those questions for those customers, either right there on the social channel or through a a process where you work with like internal customer care or something and work on doing that quickly, what are you going to do? You're going to end up with some brand loyalty. You're going to end up getting better NPS scores or maybe more reviews, whatever it may be. But that's one way, right? Retention. And then if you do have any of that acquisition conversation, do what I just talked about earlier. Try to figure out how to help the person asking the question and then offer some sort of unique code or landing page or form or whatever it is so that that money is attributed to you. And then I think, you know, doing your own little study of the cliches, facts, opinions, feelings, you know, if you're labeling everything and most of the content that you put out is cliches and facts, I would be hard pressed to see that you'd be getting a lot of opinion and feeling content back try posting the opinion and feeling content. See if you get the opinions and feelings back. And you've kind of just proved the hypothesis, which is really what I did with my thesis. So once you see that and you can quantify that, you should be able to sell it to the higher-ups because you can then start to collect voice of the customer data, which can help you. I mean, we've literally helped clients open up new brick-and-mortar stores based on voice of customer data. We've helped Product packaging change based on voice of the customer data. It really can affect every part of the business, not just marketing or sales. When you start to collect and then do something with that voice of the customer data, does that was it? Did I nerd out too much there?
0: No, yeah, no that was amazing. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And especially like the customer success, the retention piece, I see that as because there's so much opportunity there to upsell. And it just occurred to me most of this conversation has been B2C focused, but this also can apply within yes. B2B. We do this with
2: yeah. B2B clients. The example in the book, BCU, the financial brand, they're a credit union. So they're B2B and they have a thriving customer social customer care program. And we are now in the process of uh, figuring out the cost to solve that problem. So the retention on social versus their call center. We know the call center, it's $14 a call. We think the social support is around $2.20 per uh, touch. That's a huge savings, Mm -hmm. you know? So once we can nail down our number and take it to the stakeholders, I'm sure that they'll want to put more budget and time into taking care of the customers on the channel of choice. But in this situation is social because it's going to cost them So much less than doing it through a call center.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I work for a company that's in the fintech space. So like banks and credit unions are both B2B and B2C. That's kind of an interesting space. Fintech is a whole other animal. But Okay, so we are down to the final question that we like to ask every guest. And that is, what is a business book that you would recommend to our listeners?
2: My friend, Evelyn Starr with two R's wrote a book called Teenage Waste Brand instead of wasteland. Uh, And it's so good. And it was, I actually just read it recently because if you're like a teenage brand, which we are, we turned 11 this month, you go through all these different types of growing pains and she basically like outlines all of the different growing pains and then gives you solutions for how to like kind of, continue to move forward through some of those growing pains that you're having. It's really interesting. And she set it up in a way that like, you don't have to read the whole book if you're not suffering from every single one of the growing pains. You can just read the chapters that apply to you. And it was great. So I highly recommend it.
0: And you could preempt, right? You could look ahead and be like, okay, what's going to happen when we turn 15?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it literally lays out all these growing pains that you're like, oh, well, once I get there, we'll know what to do. Yeah, for sure.
0: Perfect. Well, this was a plethora of wonderful information for our listeners. Thanks so much, Brooke, for being with us.
2: Thank you so much for having me. And hopefully we didn't nerd out too much.
0: No, no. I thought, I think we kept it pretty, I mean, you know,
1: just a dash of nerdy. Just moderate and, you know, everything in moderation. Right. Exactly.
0: Exactly. All right. And thank you to Jen.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And thank you, Megan.
0: Yes, yes, yes. All right, friends, if you enjoyed this episode, please do us a favor and share it with a friend. We would also love for you to rate and review us on your platform of choice if you are so inclined. It helps us get heard by more people. All right, friends, this has been episode 126 of the Making a Marketer podcast, and we will catch you next time.